Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I am talking to my old, old, old friend and colleague. Did you like the three olds? <laughs> Anna Not so Maria Murphy. <laughs> Look, we've already spoken over each other. What did you say? I said, not so much of the old. Oh, come on. <laughs> How many years have we known each other now? Must be must be coming on for 30. It's got to, hasn't it? Um, I first met you on uh, Carmen. Which was 94. So not quite. We're not quite, no, not quite. 30, but getting there. And that so. was the famous show that I was the writer on where there was only one word which you spoke. <laughs> You do yourself down. There were two words. Can it, one was no and one was yes. smart. Oh, yeah, two words. You should have got oh, that script funny. published. Oh, no, funny. That was also the show because that was the first time I worked for Knee High and I auditioned yes. and it was sort of extraordinary I mean I was just I couldn't believe where it was I couldn't believe the barns I couldn't believe the van I couldn't believe um what I was hearing and seeing and um I was asked if I would that they wanted me for Carmen and I was I thought I was going to play Carmen so I was very excited to have a leading role and I I arrived at Nehi and as you will know, in those days, it was quite chaotic, wasn't it? And we were sort of messing about. And I think it was a good three days in when it became clear that I wasn't playing Carmen. <laughs> that I was playing the much lesser character, um, Michaela, who actually, we anyway, didn't even have a name in it, who was the, the girl no. that wasn't But wanted. at least you spoke, whereas nobody else did. Well, I forced it in, didn't I? It was a devising process and you I did, forced yeah. those two words in. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. the, the rest is history because even though I thought I was playing a leading role and I wasn't, I fell in love with the company. <laughs> I made friends for life and um, never left. In fact, a huge part of my heart and soul remains in Cornwall forever. And you're a massive part of that, Anna. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've we've kicked off straight away. Um, so first of all, what is your virtual or real choice of biscuit? It's a Viennese whirl, Emma. <gasps> Fancy. Uh, be- because as a child in the local shop, they were always on the expensive shelf biscuit, the, the expensive biscuit shelf, <laughs> and I always yearned for them. And I always thought it sound they sounded like a dance. <gasps> and anyway, so. When my on my birthday, I must have been about eight. My mum brought them for me. This is a lesson for life, and I dunked it in my birthday hot chocolate, and it disappeared. So it's all all content, no substance. Viennese well. <laughs> <laughs> so you've come up, you've smashed a... in with a life lesson. Don't dunk a Viennese yeah. well. 
Exactly. Should, I should have stuck to the digestives. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, my biscuit of choice today, which is, is real, is um, those lovely Belgian twirls. You know, the ones that are a bit like cigars. Oh. So you can pretend to smoke them and eat them. They're just delicious. They're not unlike a Viennese world, actually. A Viennese world, actually. But anyway, very good. I haven't even I haven't even thought about dunking one because that would ruin everything. No, don't, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> and how's lockdown been? I haven't seen you for months. Tell me how it's been for you. How you're feeling? Um, I am lucky enough to be in the village of Paul, where, as you know, some of my our dearest friends live. Mary Woodvine and Steve Tanner down the road and um, Alice King and my friend Emma. So we were able to meet out on the green, um, which has kept me sane. My dear daughter Georgia is uh, down with me at the moment because all of her work stopped in London, so it's a bit heartbreaking. Um, I probably, like everyone else, go from rage to despair to hope and to the wonder of everyday kindness that that communities are capable of and I spend a lot of time in my writing shed uh, when I should be writing staring at my neighbour opposite who empties and tidies his shed every day so I'm fascinated by that I know well I bet you are Annie you could learn you could learn from him couldn't you well exactly I, the, the context to this is I've been trying to get Anna to declutter for the 26 years that we've known each other and it's it's not in your DNA you no in fact I re-clutter <laughs> I do the opposite <laughs> the opposite of Marie Conte <laughs> yes um, and just for those of people that don't know just tell us where Paul is and give us a bit of a sense of your geography okay so Paul is uh, just past Penzance uh, so not far from Land's End and very near the village of Mausel. So I'm on top of the hill, so I can nearly see the sea, but I can smell it. I can smell the sea, yeah. And it's a truly magical place. So if there was a place yeah. to be stuck for a few months, it's not bad, is it? Not bad at all, no. And you and it and it. I don't. It makes you. You have you got a garden? You've got a garden, haven't you, Emma? We've got a garden, yeah. But it makes you realise how blessed, what a blessing that small thing is. And, and it does make you aware of those that haven't got it. In, in this time of lockdown, all of that has become very apparent, hasn't it? Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. So lucky. So lucky. Give us your first choice of music, Anna, and tell us why. So I've forgotten the order already. Oh, what was the last thing I told you? <laughs> Oh, Cheb, Cheb, yes. it's Cheb Khalid, isn't it? Yeah. Cheb Khalid. So I chose this because um, on the first day of the Red Shoes rehearsal, you had said to us before that on the first day we had to bring a pair of shoes that had a story, um, a piece of music that made us want to dance and um, a tale of something we wish we hadn't seen. And I thought, what a brilliant way to start a rehearsal and that that all of those kind of informs the chorus and the story and this this tune my brother Sean introduced me to Jeb Khalid and this just makes me want to dance um, so that's why I chose it and that memories of that brilliant Red Shoes rehearsal.
Beautiful track, thank you. <laughs> Do you remember it? Probably I not. There were, we everyone had this. Well, yeah. No, we all had, but it was a really you do remember key moments in your lives and that process and that show and that first day is seared into my memory. So I do remember it. It was a it was amazing. And I my next track is also from Red Shoes, so let's talk a bit about it because it was it was actually the second show I directed. Yeah. Um, I'd already directed The Itch, which was a version of The Changeling, the Jacobean tragedy, The Changeling. But in many ways, I feel that The Red Shoes was the beginning of my directing career. I think I got a lot of things out of my system with The Itch, and I was also in it. Whereas The Red Shoes was the first thing that I wasn't in. Um, and I think, oh gosh, everything was raw. You know, in many ways, I look back on it and think if only I could capture the instinctive energy from that project that came from all of us and you wrote the words but we did it in a really unusual way I my memory is but tell me if it's wrong that I asked you to write a collection of poetry that I didn't want a script yeah and I wanted it to sound like um children's poetry and we and you started writing a collection of poetry that that had all those iconic characters in it and it just the, the work fell out of us and it fell out of us in such a emotional and truthful and raw way and I still think those poems that you wrote stand incredibly up to the test of time yeah I mean you I remember you saying I mean you know you said Anna I've got 150 pounds for you to write some to write a poem I think you said and I thought bugger that I'm gonna well I just got And that thing that you said about the chorus possibly having seen things that they wish they hadn't seen just kind of struck a chord in all of us, I think. And um, so some of them were from my grandfather's diaries from the First World War about um, drinking. Uh, They were so desperate for a cup of tea, they, 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 they got this... Uh, kettle of water they realised there was blood in it but they still drank it and they were constantly itching and trying to get clean so so that kind of your impetus to um, to write that series of poems was just a gift for me I didn't have to worry about the structure of the whole piece or what cat you know it's just such a a dream um, for me to be asked to write a series of poems I mean, it always makes me laugh in that subsequently when I've done that, I always, um, what you call the womb poetry, that there's always a couple of really dreadful lines. <laughs> and then um, and then I get to some good stuff, hopefully. But uh, And then I deliberately used to put in some womb poetry. Just or the word belly. I, I did an embargo. Yeah, one. belly. I don't want to hear the word belly or womb. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's right. But no, it's interesting because we laugh about it because it's funny. But it's, yes. it's actually very true to loads of things, which is, I think, what often happens is that the first thing you write doesn't end yeah. getting used because it's it's a way in, isn't it? As I always think Absolutely. that those... The, and that happens with improvisation. It happens with actors. It happens with a design that you you, you have a stab at something, and it, of course it's not going to be right first time. But you, it, it's your way into it. So I often end up cutting the first verse of something you've written, don't I? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's you've just got to start. Got to start. It's the hardest thing of being creative. You just got to jump in. But yeah. that, that me me giving you, I, I'm I'm I tell you what I have blocked out is that I that I offered you 150 quid or knee high did it wasn't mine. I hope I hope that it's paid off better over the years. Oh my god! I mean, actually, you know, I've earned I've earned not that it's not that it was about the money, but I, from royalties and it being put on, I've actually earned more than a fee from that. But also just the exposure to that way of working and um and a relationship with you and writing in that way and that immediacy sort of suits me so well in all the shows that we've done together and um yeah so it, it was it, it and it gave me confidence just gave me the confidence I just think as a writer and that was two ways for me as well because you gave me the space to um, have my own vision for that show, which was really extraordinary. You look back, you know, there'd been nothing like it, and there hasn't been anything no. like it. This extraordinary happening, and by right, by working the way we did, you gave me the space for my vision to to still be there. And, and by the end, the poetry began to join up, didn't it? And I can remember us saying, yeah. "We need to, we've, we're missing a little bit here, the journey." And you'd go and write the final bit, but it wasn't linear. We didn't work. This is no. the beginning, and this is the end. Together, we sort of threw these emotional sort of thunderballs into this piece and it was so yeah. powerful which yeah. leads me on to my first choice of music so I have chosen from the Red Shoes um, the piece from Jurassic 5 which is one of the pieces we used for when the shoes were taking over and I've chosen this one because I feel it sums up knee high in those early years for me in that we were so rooted in our culture and we we learned um, Cornish clog dancing for this show so yes it was really rooted in Cornwall but we were never folksy we were quite edgy and a lot of clog dancing is in 6-8 and very very little popular music in six, is in 6-8 but this piece from Jurassic 5 is so I love this as a memory of how bloody edgy that show was as we Cornish clog danced to these amazing beats okay let's begin Compound, a substance composed of two or more elements chemically combined in definite proportions by weight. Mixture, two or more substances that are not chemically united, such as air. Solution, a uniform mixture of varying proportions of a solvent and a solute. For many of our students, this is the lesson you've been waiting for. Plus one. Sodium, Na, plus one. Magnesium, Mg, plus two. Aluminum, Al, plus three. Potassium, K, plus one. Calcium, Ca, plus two. Chromium, Cr, plus two, three, six. 
Led Zeppelin and Frank Sinatra would go together. Edit. No. Combinations of music. If you're about to play a soul 45 RPM recording, but the turntable is set at 33 and a third, and the record plays very slowly. And, uh, let's pick up the tempo a bit, eh? imagine that you're in the middle of your disc jockey program. This is the mark of a professional. Yeah, if you could throw a couple of, yeah, uh, uh, right when he's playing the drum, you know, let him play a couple of beats alone. Yeah. Sorry, I had the turntable at the wrong speed. composition of the molecules of a substance. New substances with new properties are produced. Drop. From now until your next lesson, we want you to study carefully every section of lesson six and to go back over lesson four. Practice carefully and you will be ready for the new techniques and new situations we will cover together in lesson five. 
you just, Anna just held up to her camera there a picture of uh, some legs from the red shoes. Um, that original character was created by Beck Appleby, who was my original yeah. girl in the red shoes. And then Patricia Kuliavska went on to also create that role or recreate that role. Two amazing yeah. women with two amazing pairs of legs as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as well as feet. I mean, as I say, that show sits so powerfully in my heart and soul and and I do when I get lost which I have to say I get lost artistically more and more as I get older that is the place I return to and I think what was it that we held on so strongly to at that time so thank you Anna for being part of that oh no thank you (laughs) (laughs) so we went on to do a couple of um strange projects where you and Carl Groves, two Cornish writers, yes. were working together, um, the Bacchae and Tristan and Isolde. Again, yeah. something that we we haven't returned to, and I think primarily because we've all developed as artists, but primarily you and Carl have, is that you're both exceptional, important writers in the industry and sort of those those early sort of patchwork shows we did don't really feel appropriate anymore but uh, talk to me a bit about how you remember those weird times of you and Carl being in a corner in Leeds Playhouse oh I mean that for the back eye um I vividly remember that it was the time of the um the awful massacre in the school remember when the children were being kept um kept hostage and suddenly the 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 story of the back eye became uh, so relevant that that kind of ancient story about mass hysteria and um radicalism and um and i and i might think georgia was about seven then and I remember like feeling uh, for some reason being parted from her felt painful because of what was going on politically um but apart from that I mean sometimes Carl and I sat in a garret together and then sometimes because he's famously um I it was like a competition between us who'd get our bits in first it was always me I have to say Well, you can't get anything out of Carl Groves. When he does deliver it, it's amazing, no. but it's painful getting it, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Carl. again, the way you commissioned us was also brilliant, was that um, we took on the voices of different of different uh, characters, so or, or the kind of um, the monologues and the text. So I think I think I famously did the the menopausal. Back eye. Um, they all had a, all the back eye ladies um, had their own little bit, and I took on those. And Carl took on the kind of the, the weightier court um, voices. And then we, yeah, this extraordinary process because it's. I'm sure you'll talk about Tristan and Assault, but kind of similar to that. But we, and then we would, and then we would meet and and merge the scripts and we did actually physically write bits together on that one we did actually um, especially some of the dialogue we we wrote together so I mean he's a, a dream to work with Carl so we as well as that kind of that political stuff that go we didn't have half have a laugh as well I think um, <laughs> well, we always had a laugh didn't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> Is the absolute truth of it. But you're right, yeah. because in, again, in those early days, something that we, we haven't returned to, but I would 
cast the writing in the way that exactly. I would cast the room. And I would... Um, so, yes, and, and because Carl... Maybe this is too crude, but I I felt that Carl was a more technical writer. He would work. Yeah, very, absolutely. He would craft. He'd dig in, wouldn't he, and really think yeah. and craft. And you're a very instinctive, emotional writer. Is that I'd really try to harness that, which did give these scripts. I don't like to use that word because they were sort of story yes. happenings, but such diversity. You know, from yeah. huge bits of sort of um, of powerful sort of rigorous structure and then it's almost free like rivers flowing through it with your words it, it worked amazingly and we yeah. definitely carried that on in Tristan and Isolt with you writing the um the emotional words of of almost the servants the lower level characters of yeah. Isolt and Carl doing the voice of King Mark and the court in Iambic Pentameter yeah. I seem to remember yeah absolutely I, I, I remember saying to me how come you always give me the voice of the broken-hearted? <laughs> the ones that have lost their boyfriends or never had them. <laughs> was, which was true of me at the time. <laughs> well, horses for well, horses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but oh, no, that's so fruitful. So fruitful. Yeah. I look back at that early work, as I say, with sort of almost longing although you what the thing you can't do is recreate something because we all the only thing that's certain in life is you change and we all have to change together but I do look back on that as sort of such an explosion of artistry and and a and true ensemble I feel that you as Carl and yourself were throwing into the process as writers in the same way that the musicians were in the same way the actors were that we would just have this huge democratic melting pot that we were all chucking stuff into. Yes, I mean, I was I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about I had done some writing for our beloved Bill, and with him, he was always the words came last, so I would literally sometimes have to sneak words in, like on bits of paper for the actors to try out, and then he would go. Well, yeah, we'll have that. Where did that come from? Um, so I think I still did a bit of that on Red Shoes, except that you, I think I remember you say you don't have to sneak them to the actors, and you can give them to me, and I will try them out. <laughs> and it is interesting. I, I remember I've done some like master classes when in Boston when um, Tristan and Result was there with the students, and they couldn't get over. I was telling them about how Carl and I had created some of these scripts together, and they couldn't get their heads around it at all. And, and in a way, you have to be in the room to see that how it works, don't you? You well, it, yeah, you it have also to be in wasn't the room. happening anywhere else. You know, we were, no. you know, we were exploding as a creative team at that moment. And you mentioned Bill, our beloved Bill, Bill Mitchell, who designed the shows yeah. and was such a huge part of our process and our experience. And it, it sort of hasn't happened before or since. We were in Cornwall, in the middle of nowhere just coming together in these barns and throwing such generosity our experience into this yeah. our experience that was both practical because we were you know we, we were all pretty experienced by that time but really um personal as well i amazing times and and such a head of steam we built up as well we were churning out work weren't we oh yeah i mean another famous thing i remember can't remember which show it was but you went, you said to uh you said anna and Stu. You've got 25 minutes to write a song. 
we were oh, okay we, but but actually we did do it i can't remember which show it was on but i remember us going off um into the music room and we came back with with a song i said but then <laughs> the only thing that i do to excuse myself is actually that's what i wish somebody would do to me because it's we're all none of us are the most efficient people no are we let's face it if you if you had to use if you were describing the knee-high team at that time, efficient would not be a word or organised. Oh, absolutely not. None of those things. So by saying, come on, do it in 25 minutes, we all would do it. And I wish, oh, God, I wish I... somebody would say that to me. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm writing, I'm lucky enough to have two radio commissions at the moment. And because of lockdown, they don't know when they're going to be recorded. So, of course, that gives me more time to stare at my neighbour uh, sorting out his garage and I so wish I had an MRI going you've got half an hour to write 500 words oh my god yeah <laughs> what's the second choice of music and why it's, it's the resilient one isn't it it's oh, Roxanne uh, Roxanne oh I'm so sorry Em you told me this I should have written them down so I saw um, Ayana Witter Johnson. It was on a. She was playing in her backyard on her cello, and it, it was on a YouTube channel, backyard sessions. I think, and I was. Um, I just made it, and it's, it's interesting because the words, when I, if I think about it, of them, they're sting. They're sting. The police. It's a police song, I think, isn't it? And you know, they're a little bit. I, I thought, oh, they're a little bit suspect, possibly the words about um, a, a woman in a red light district. But when she sings it, it, it becomes like a, a love song, and uh, the passion in her in her voice, and and also the way she uses her cello as a kind of rhythmic instrument um but it yeah it becomes like a a love song and actually i urge people to look at her she's um she sings um a, a speech from the civil rights movement in 1831 i think and it's called ain't i a woman and she just brings this extraordinary vocal passion and they become these passionate love songs so i just adore this Put on the red light 
One of the things I love about Aunt you, Anna, is you are staring at your neighbour's shed at the end <laughs> of the planet, at the end of the British Isles, in a tiny village, and yet you have such a global view of the world. Your experience and your spirit, you are one of the most outward-looking people I've ever met, and that's oh, demonstrated in your music choices. Thank you. But not my staring at my neighbour. In fact, the other day I went over. He's he's a sweetheart, and I said, "Lynn, it's called, he's called Lynn. Why? What are you doing in your shed? I've got to, I've got to, I've got to know." And he went, "That's my secret, Anna, and you're never going to know." But anyway, that's what he said. <laughs> I want to know. Have you got to write the story of Lynn's secret. Oh, he he's in he's in one of the uh, radio commissions I've got. Him and his his garage is in in one of my radio commissions because yeah, <laughs> the best the, stories come from truth, don't they? They do, and you're the personification of the epic and the domestic, the two things Thank I love. You. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Tristan and Isolt because again, I think that's when you can only say this in hindsight, but we really, really came into focus as a team. We were good yeah. before, but some fairy dust happened over that. And it was when we, that team, really finessed our process and that piece of work against all expectations. Yes. Yeah. Sublime and continues to be yeah. sublime. And I look at it now as if it isn't mine. I can look at it like a sort of strange being that has its own life. Um, but I think particularly about your words for Brangian. Yes. And how I feel that they have touched people far and wide and across the planet um and what of my wedding night will a queen take my place for me not lightly not bloody likely i still want to cry when i think of those words yeah um but talk about the unloved and how you gave the idea of the chorus of the unloved voice I mean, do you remember we when we were looking for the chorus? I think you, we were talking about the Cornish saints, and I wrote a series of of poems um, about the Cornish saints because they were mostly murderers, adulterers, and drunkards come over from Brittany and Ireland and had grown long beards. And by the time they got to Cornwall, people thought they were saints. But um, and we you tried those as a chorus for about a week, and we had to give up on them because. Um, because their stories were almost too strong. The actual myths clashed with the myth of Tristan and Isolt. So uh, I think you came up. You came up with (laughs) it. Was but I tell you what, those poems. One ended up as a radio play. They've ended up in in those saints' poems in all kinds of other uh, alliterations, and might be coming back for hell up. uh, this ordinalia that Simon, Carl, and I are writing, oh. trying to write. Anyway, you, you came up with the trains with the the, the sort of train spotters, I think. The love um, spotters, and I think yeah. it was from the, the love spotters. I think it was because we had some balaclavas in the in the in the costume uh, store, and those, um, yeah, they they. They're all of us, aren't they? They're the kind of the yearning for love and the and the looking, the 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 looking at other people in love, but but not in a kind of jealous way, but in a kind of um, 
and are glad that those people have got love but I wish I wish we had it too and so they became they're, they're like the heart of the the piece I think because they are the observers and the watchers but they have this yearning and sort of desperate poignancy as well as being so funny so um they they as well as the Brangian they always make me weep as well because they they're yearning for it aren't they and uh, uh, and again you came up with the club unloved and that that actually that concept the club unloved gave me the impetus to write to write for them the the, the club that people go to to talk about how they they long for love um was the impetus for the writing so yeah everything all the stars aligned and as you said they didn't yes. align straight away they happened in the room didn't they it makes me think a lot yeah. more. I feel that I have to prepare more and more these days that people want more and more information to to mitigate against failure and, and nobody was noticing us in those days nobody cared whether we made a good show or a bad show no and I look back at that the alchemy that happened and yeah Tristan Isolt happened within four weeks and we made mistakes in those four weeks and yet when it when it flourished what strong beautiful roots went down and flowers flourished you know and still I'm moved when I think about it and I feel that all of us are in that show when I think about it I feel you so strongly I feel Mike Shepard so strongly I feel Carl I feel Cornwall I feel myself yeah it's really I feel Tristan Sturrock you know, we, yes. all of the all of our stories, Ava Magya, all of our stories that have flowed through it are sort of held in this ancient, ancient myth, which I didn't like when I first read it. I thought, no, it well, nonsense. it was all dragons and knights, wasn't it? And um, yeah, couldn't get it endless. at all. Whereas no, now I mean, <clears throat> I often wonder about that Brankian speech. If it would have been because you cast a man as Brangian to play a female. I uh, So people thought it was going to be funny, but then it's apparent that it isn't. I wonder if it would have been as poignant if um, if it had been a woman, because they wouldn't have laughed at the beginning. But So there was this laughter, and then it, it went into nervous laughter when they realised what that speech was about. So I, it kind of, yeah. It was a really, because the reason I cast Craig was I thought he'd be funny and he'd be true and yeah. we didn't have any money to have other people. So I thought, no, um, it, you know, not a lot of thought went into these ideas. But you're right. So he'd been very funny, very adorable. He never played it camp. It wasn't disrespectful. No. He played it very simply, but, but quite foolish. And then that moment when, for those of you that don't know the story, it's when... Isolt is worried that King Mark will discover she's not a virgin, so gets her maid, Brangian, to take her place on the wedding night. And Anna wrote the most exquisite speech when um, the maid is is ignored the morning after, um, is again treated like, is dismissed, even though it was her that had sex. Um, so touching. But there's Craig Johnson, this amazing big chap clown, and I'm really proud of it because the speech started with him wiping his fanny. Sorry, I can't think of any other way to say No, it. no, absolutely. And uh, Craig always hated it because it sometimes got a laugh. Sometimes people went, ugh. And I said, no, I really want you to do it because I want you to change the temperature in the room. And I want, and that's the reality. If you just have sex, it's what yeah. you have to do. You have to, if you're a woman, you need to clean yourself up. And it was really awkward. It was, it was, we were in this sort of, 
isn't knee high lovely we're all telling a love story and suddenly it was very truthful yeah. and it's what women have to do and yeah. the audience you could feel the ripple of uncomfortableness in the audience and Craig you could feel the uncomfortableness of Craig and then he would turn around and deliver your words and I would say it's one of the highlights of my career that moment because the world changed and the import changed and the yeah you whether we were performing at Restore More Castle or the Minac or the National you felt yeah. people go okay this is something we hadn't expected and we're going to go to a really really painful place and a really truthful place yeah no I think it's possibly the piece of writing that I'm most proud out of out of anything I've ever written is that yeah and the, and the way you staged it and, and yeah 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 so we're going to celebrate a bit of Tristan Isolt with a surprise choice because I'm feeling that my spirits need lifting at the moment so yeah. I'm going for the mambo Ima oh, yes. Sumac from Tristan and Isolt come on Excellent. let's give us some light
excellent. I can't not see Giles King and his extraordinary limbs when I see that. He's got limbs like no other, um, oh, Giles. and he's got moves like no other. That's he has, Giles, yeah. Um, yeah. What about your next choice and why? Um, so this uh, no, uh, this is um, a group called Rising Appalachia, and they're two women musicians, um, multi instrumentalists, singers. So not only have they reinvented Appalachian music, which was mostly kind of men in the south, but the words to this, which they've written, are. I mean, it was written a couple of years ago, but it could have been written for now and what's happening now in the world about resilience and hope and uh, and, and women. You know, they're, they're very political feminists, but it is women who are suffering most in this lockdown. But, but, but it's also a really joyful, uplifting... And in their sweet harmonies, there's kind of politics and feminism and climate change and everything, but it's also makes you want to get up and dance, so it's kind of perfect. I am resilient, I trust the movement, I negate the chaos, uplift the negative, I'll show up at the table again and again and again, I'll close my mouth and learn to listen. These times are poignant, the winds have shifted. It's all we can do to stay uplifted. Pipelines through backyards, wolves howling out front. Yeah, I got my crew, but truth is what I want. Realigned and on point, power to the peaceful, prayers to the waters, women at the center, all vessels open to give and receive. Let's see the system brought down to its knees. Whoa, whoa. I'm not 
gonna do about it when the world comes undone? My voice feels tiny, and I'm sure so does yours. Put us all together, make a mighty I want to talk about Don John. Don John! <laughs> so, long overdue, I thought it was time that you wrote your own show. No car. Yes. No, much less intervention from me, much more giving you your voice. And you wrote the amazing Don John for Knee High yeah. and Me. A show that I feel is the only show, I think, that didn't have a second life. No, the back I didn't either. Yeah. Um, I believe it didn't have a second life for two reasons. One fairly mundane, mundane reason, which is it was too big. It was such a massive set. Yeah. It, 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 it broke us. We, we just as a small company couldn't keep touring it. Um, but secondly, I think it was before its time. I think it was too challenging. Yeah. I think it was too on the nose. It was absolutely about me too. It was absolutely... I think if we did it now, everybody would go, yeah, too right. And then yeah. it was an incredibly strong taste. But tell me yeah. about your memories and thoughts about Don John now. Well, do you know, Emma, it's one of the shows I'm... Even though it wasn't the most beloved show of other people, although some uh, young people, I remember, absolutely adored it, I'm most, I'm, I think I'm most proud of that show with us as a company because, um, because it was challenging and it was about, about um, an uncomfortable character who comes in and, and he is, what's the word? The disruptor, isn't it? The disruptor. Um, and all of those, and, and and it's the what what I think what I loved about it is we talked about that in the original um, opera, the women that he slept with don't have a voice; they're not named. And so now you're absolutely right. It's like Harvey Weinstein, and that those women are now being named. Those women that kind of um, and we did that. And the other thing is, is we did that fantastic project. Do you remember with the wild young ones? Yeah. And that, I tell you what, we um, I was speaking to Ellie, who's one of the workers from Wild, who we worked with, and they still talk about that project as best practice. So for those that don't know, we we talked about how we wanted to hear young women's stories. And Wild is a group in Cornwall who work with young mothers. So anything from the age of 15 to sort of 23. And we did a project up at the Barnes with uh, myself, Steve Tanner, Loz, Simon, Helen Tiplady. And we, ha- we hosted them for over six weeks, I think. And we, we, we got their stories and their stories ended up in that show. Um, uh, and that gave it a real heart. And um, yeah, and, and also we, 
we, we, I remember we were we were in the rehearsal room at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and we didn't have any set, and we did a run through, and we suddenly thought, oh my God, we've got a show without any set, with nothing, because the the voices were so powerful and dangerous and um, challenging, and uh, and I and I remember. But also, we hadn't stuck. We ha- like Cymbeline. We hadn't stuck to the original text of the opera, which upset some of the traditionalists, didn't it? If I remember rightly, I'm all and, uh, upsetting the traditionalists. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, that's why I love you. Um, <laughs> and I think we, I think we got some bad reviews for it, which was a bit of a shock, and also some brilliant reviews. And I, I just, and also that time up in. Stratford and it was Christmas and the atmosphere in that town and us all going to the Dirty Duck so it's all it's all wound up with that but yeah I I think it's one of my favourite shows which what people always think I'm going to say this yeah me too well it's because it was didn't really have the life it deserves I think so it, 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 you, no. you, you nurse it you look after it in your heart don't you no, I think yeah. about that now, especially with Me Too. I think because uh, we worked with the amazing Cornish dance company Seascape for yes. brilliant female dancers. And there was a bit when, because um, in all the Casanova stories, because Don John was our version of the Don Giovanni yeah. um, Casanova myth, he's slept with a thousand women or more. Sometimes yeah. it's 2,000, sometimes it's 1,003. And it's all about the list. But we never, like you say, never hear the names of these women. And there was a, a bit in Don John where Seascape wrote the names of women all over the set in chalk. That's right. And yeah. they wrote the names of their friends and of their family and of the characters on stage and of the women, the wild girls, the young girls yeah. that we'd been working with. And it's like we named everybody. And it was yeah. so political and so brilliant. And again, you're your words were amazing and I have to say throughout Team Biscuits we've chosen nearly every other Don John track so I've chosen us a surprise one to play us out okay (laughs) but before I play us out I would like to say Anna Murphy you are the most surprising empathetic (laughs) poetic eccentric genre defying artist that I know (laughs) like trees in the elements you bow and change but you never shift your roots or question your loyalties you're an inspiration, a constant surprise, and a true friend. So thank you for all the adventures we've had over the years, Anna. Thank you, my love, because I wouldn't have gone on them without you. We're bloody lucky, aren't we? Yes. So I'm going to play out our tea and biscuits with a track from Don John, which is actually a punk rock track entitled Viva la Liberta. Listen yes. To lyrics. It's sung by Dom Lawton. Um, music by Stu Barker feel the rage feel the joy feel the energy which is what I feel that we had and I hope we have again after lockdown because gosh I crave liberty thank you yes yes Freedom hits to it Love the one you're with Love them now and love them hard Tomorrow might never come If it does be exhausted Want more and more Till your eardrums bleed Catch close to me Heart to heart Cheek to cheek Lip to lip Groin to groin out Drink the blood dry Love them till they cry Shout fever, fever Fever and liberty Fever, fever Fever and liberty Fever, fever Fever and liberty Fever
long time dead Rage against the grain, it's a pain to turn red Live a little now, shout it out loud Cos when you push your daisies, it'll be too late Let me hear you roaring, let me hear you screaming Shout fever, fever, grab it by the balls Promise them anything cos it might not last Shout fever, fever, fever to live a time If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye. Oh, no.